Hello and good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Dawncast. I'm Dai Lee. And I'm Kathy Ngo. Now, job interviews can be intimidating and a lot of time and human resources goes into the screening and hiring of candidates. But what if we look but what if we took the human out of this question? Curious Thing co-founder Zam Sam Zeng might just have the answer. Welcome, Sam. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So first of all, congratulations on creating this uh, and leading a team of disruptors with Curious Thing. Um, tell us, what is it and what does it do? There's a bit of technical problem. Um, okay. First of all, let me clarify. Not taking human. Uh, yes, uh, we are not. Can you, can you hear me? Yes, yeah. there's a bit of a, a technical. Yes, like, we are not taking yeah, maybe it's the internet speed. Um, sh <laughs> shall we start again or I don't know? No, that's fine. Just continue. We're um, so got it, got it, got it. So yeah, um, so first of all, let me clarify. We are not taking human part out of the equation. We are basically, um, you know, uh, letting people refocus on the more important step of the whole process. Because um, for lots of people, they think recruitment as one interview, they make a decision. But the reality is on average, people do four to six rounds. So uh, we are just doing the first round uh, using AI to do the shortlisting. Um, to go back to your question, what is Curious Thing? Um, we are basically a phone call based conversational AI for first round of interview. Um, and the problem we are solving is because now when you think about shortlisting, you receive 1000 applications, maybe you spend five to seven seconds per CV. Then you make a shortlisting decision um, from 1,000 to 100 or 1,000 to 50. We are trying to give candidates the opportunity to interview 100%, um, you know, businesses the opportunity to interview 100% of the candidates um, so they can make more data-driven, um, you know, recruitment or shortlisting decision. So that's, that's the problem we are solving. Um, we actually want to help people. We are not replacing people. So how does it work? So uh, if, uh, can you take us through the process of how it works? Yeah, let me actually show you. Um, so, you know, how does it work very quickly? Let's assume I apply for a job um, and then I receive an email saying, hey, please call this number for the interview. Um, then. Is it straight away that you would get that um, response? Yes, yeah. uh, through an email with the ping. So. This is my Hello. mobile phone. Welcome to interview hosted by Curious Thing. To help me locate your interview, please enter your PIN followed by the hash key. Now I just need to insert my PIN. Thank you. Your code is 1111. Please wait while I check your code. Your interview role as engineer at Curious Thing. I will pass you to our AI interviewer now. Please wait a second. Welcome to the AI interviewer of Curious Thing. My name is Christine. Thanks for joining me today. We will go through a short interview with a mix of technical and behavioral. I'll stop here. So essentially, uh, after the intro, I can do the conversation with AI, just like, you know, I do the full interview with another human. Um, the strength of AI is AI doesn't sleep. AI can handle thousands of phone calls, you know, uh, overnight. Um, and importantly, it scales with consistency. So that's why we are developing this to help with the shortlisting process, which is the first round of interview. Mm -hmm. Okay. I've, I've been a recruiter in the past. Say, and yeah. 
oh my god every time I would advertise a role I'd get thousands of applications and I feel really bad for each applicant if I don't get back to them within a few days because they get really frustrated it, it can be a poor candidate experience so I can see that there is this need here so why did you start this business were you in recruitment or HR in the past like what was the kind of moment where you were like I need to start this um, I, I, I wasn't a recruiter at all. Actually, um, this is the kind of the unique part of Curious Thing. So maybe I'll quickly introduce myself. So I'm a serial entrepreneur. This is my second startup. Uh, previously, I was CTO co-founder of another AI startup called Hyperna. The company is still there. Uh, I'm still a shareholder. I'm just no longer involved. So um, a few things triggered the start of this company, which was we want to essentially use a new technology called Knowledge Graph to build a paradigm of the new technology that can do, you know, basically AI questioning. So unlike most of the conversational AI, what we want to do is put AI in the driver's seat and ask a question to human to collect information and with purposes. So we thought we were building some computational curiosity. That's why we call ourselves Curious Thing. The, kind of like application layer with the which is the AI job interview was actually um, you know uh, only we only started this like few months after we were building the API layer which is the AI asking question um, you know for with purposes part so that's two separate things when we started we didn't really think of the, the recruitment the reason why we were doing the recruitment conversational AI is because um, what we have found, because my previous company will also do conversational AI, including my co-founder's previous company, people usually don't take AI very serious. And only for certain use cases like job interview, people will actually answer question, um, you know, basically seriously because you have something at stake. What was the purpose of having an AI asking a question? So what was the idea behind that? Why mm. was it so important that the AI asked the questions? Um, that's a great question. Uh, let me share with you, um, you know, today most of the conversational AI um, you know, framework, they are designed uh, with a task fulfillment paradigm. Uh, if you think about, say, how you work with Siri or, um, you know, um, Alexa usually handles things like what's the weather today, uh, order me a pizza or play me Beatles, right? It's like human drive the conversation while AI just fulfill the task, which is great. You know, we're not against that at all. But for some other situation or some other conversations, you might want AI to be the driver of the conversation. Um, the purpose is to collect information in a very consistent way. So you can do benchmarking or just basically just to tap into um, you know, our like knowledge as human beings um, so that we can uh, discover some insights or, um, you know, automate a certain part of the decisions. Um, because, you know, if you ask human to do that, there are two issues. Firstly, as a human being, I can only make 10 phone calls per day, right? I can't make 1,000. It's impossible. The second thing is, um, you know, if I make that phone call in the morning or in the afternoon, they are not going to be consistent because maybe I didn't really have a great lunch, um, you know. Um, so in the afternoon, I might feel mm, not as good as, uh, you know, a phone call in the morning. So us as human beings, we can do deep and, um, you know, very, very um, complex decision, but also it's subject to nonlinear biases. 
we got emotions gets in the way. Exactly. <laughs> and if we haven't had our coffee, we get cranky. No cigarette. We are kind of, you know, if that person picks up the phone and we're thinking, hang on, we don't like the sound of that voice. <laughs> That's it. And also bias, right? If we hear maybe an accent or whatever it is, there is that that risk as well. Mm, so are you saying that the, the conversational AI will not have those biases like, Accent. You can, ben- you can Acc- benchmark because it's asking the same questions, right, for that particular job. Is that right? And then you yes. can compare the so answers. Absolutely. Our AI will ask, um, you know, similar questions, not exactly the same question because based on people's answer, the AI might ask different follow-up questions um, just to make sure that, you know, as candidate, they do understand what they are talking about, say, oh, you know, for this particular topic, can you share with me more, et cetera, et cetera. But they are very consistent. Um, you know, one key thing we we share with our client, and we also have positive feedback on that, is our um, AI only analyze what people have said instead of how they say it, um, you know. So essentially, it can basically open up your pipeline and so you will data not just from those people you, you you would usually hire, but from everyone. Um, so one of our clients from New Zealand, they actually shared with us using us as the first step of the interview. They actually have lots of diversity in terms of like people going to towards the second round or the third round. So which we are super super proud of. Uh, so we, I read somewhere that you're a self taught uh, engineer. Um, in addition to being a serial entrepreneur, what, what, how do you, how did you take yourself engineering, or is that, <laughs> is that actually true, or I read somewhere uh, correctly? Well, it is true. Um, so uh, I'll share with you guys something funny because um, you know, in engineering field, if people say oh, I'm self-taught engineer, people think you are really good. But what I realize is when I tell work with my client, I'm like, oh, it's a self-taught engineer. Um, does it mean you are not as good as a normal engineer? That's why I stopped telling people I'm a software engineer. So my 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 training my training background is uh, actuarial. I was trained as actuary. Uh, uh, I was spending years building uh, stats model for insurance companies. Uh, you know, modeling earthquake, bushfire. Uh, then I went to consultancy. Then I started my first startup. So, um, you know, I, I kind of like learned lots of coding myself and I love it, um, you know. Uh, but it's not like I come from a totally different background because as an actuary or statistician, you also need to do coding. But it's just a different different types of coding. Uh, now, you said that you're a serial entrepreneur and you started the Hi- HyperAna um, startup. Yeah. What is yes. Hyper Anna? What does it do and how different is that to Curious Thing? And why is Anna uh, Hyper? And why is I, Anna ha- Hyper? <laughs> uh, okay, so yeah, I can't, I can't really, um, you know, represent uh, Hyper Anna a lot because I'm no longer a director there. So uh, yeah. Hyper Anna, in, uh, you know, long story short, it's uh, artificial intelligence for, uh, for a data scientist. Like, you know, it's basically AI for BI, business intelligence. So I was a CTO co-founder there so I was basically the person build up the stuff uh, in the beginning um, yeah so um, yeah that's pretty much what hyperna does yeah so so both is still basically in AI artificial intelligence using artificial mm-hmm. intelligence to obviously uh, with your actuary background it's about benchmarking getting the numbers and, and 
you know, having statistics. Probabilities. Yeah, probabilities mm. and statistics and graph, isn't it? <laughs> That's all I can see. Yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. Actually, the two companies, they are in two very different subfields uh, of artificial intelligence because it's a very, very big uh, field. And, um, you know, at Curious Thing, we do more conversational AI. Uh, we are more focusing on natural language processing, which is one of the very important, um, you know, sector within our artificial intelligence as a big, big industry. Mm. Now, the biggest... Uh, you. you th- the, the recent news is that you are creating this platform for the Department of Foreign Affairs um, the, using, they're using your platform. Is that right? Sorry, can you please repeat your question? Uh, I, I said that the, 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 news, the news recently was that you are doing something with the department, um, a government agency, in terms of using your platform. Uh. Got it, got it. Uh, yeah, you're you are referring to the Austrade article. Austrade, sorry, yes. So, yes, yes. So, um, yeah, I think the article is mainly uh, about two things. Firstly, we are expanding in the US. Actually, we have started our expansion, I don't know, since January, February. Um, so we have one team member there based in San Francisco. So uh, another thing uh, in the article, um, you know, it particularly mentioned this because, uh, you know, we want a tender. We are selected for, um, you know, part of the, it's called recruitment reimagined, um, you know, for the U.S. Air Force. So it's like, you know, they are trying to, I would say, re-engineer the whole recruitment process. And we are selected as one of the software that is going to be part of the kind of like a new recruitment process. So um, that's a, that's a very huge news for us. I think we are the only international software provider, and most of the other companies are huge. Um, yeah, we are very very proud. I was going to say you must have been excited with the news. Uh, yes, I was excited for uh, I would say a few minutes. Then I went back to my day to day busy <laughs> work. So <laughs> getting back to the grind. Yeah. Uh, so here at Dawn, we're, we're very much about um, shining a light on a lot of um, culturally diverse voices as well, um, in addition to, um, you know, diverse voices. Um, has your cultural upbringing have to do much with uh, what you're doing now? Like, is it, um, would you say it has contributed to your drive and your tenacity and your desire to do all these um, entrepreneurial projects, would you think? Um, the very honest answer is i don't think so um i'm sorry for saying this because um you know i think why i'm building a start a lot people like you know doing startups for all different reasons right the reason why i do startups is because i want to build product that value to people sorry you just dropped out so can you repeat what you said, yeah. that, that the initial, you're saying that the reason why you build startup? Uh, yes. Okay, I'll repeat that again. So yeah, uh, I think people are building startups for all different reasons, right? Um, you know, um, for, for me, the reason why, you know, I, I really love, you know, uh, doing a startup, uh, building a company from scratch is because I really love building product. Um, you know, building a product that is uh, so good, uh, people use it and people actually gain lots of value out of that because that's my, that's my drive and that's my passion. Um, 
yeah because i think that's that's a key that's a key thing not necessarily you know the the other part my primary drive is actually building an awesome product which if i think back regarding culture um i don't think it it's relevant a lot but maybe when i was like being a kind of a statistician when i was like doing model uh lots of the way of thinking were built there which is the like you know very earlier uh, stage of my career um i see how a well-defined process and a kind of like a smart and intelligent decisions can really add value to businesses yeah on along that journey to build products, there must have been some very dark moments, moments where you think, I don't know if I'm going to, you know, make this happen. Or challenges. Or challenges. Yeah. What were some of those moments? Um, to start with, um, I think our hypothesis, because at Curious Thing, we have three co-founders, myself, David and Han. Um, we are all from tech background. However, you know, we are very different in terms of like cultural background, in terms of age. Um, and I think when we started, there was one thing we sit down, uh, you know, discussed and that really kind of like was driving the whole journey of Curious Thing, which is um, the fact that we believe in iteration, um, which essentially works in this way. It's more like everything we have as opinion is hypothesis. And, um, you know, if it's a hypothesis, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't take action. It only means that we take it as a hypothesis. When we go out and do our kind of like initial testing, it's literally a testing. Then we revisit hypothesis. The reason why I mentioned this is because lots of like dark moments are actually due to the fact that from time to time, we can't accept uncertainties especially when the uncertainty is becoming something that is, um, you know, kind of like a negative outcome. However, for us, we accept these kind of like uncertainties in the beginning. So in general, I would say emotion-wise, we are not like very extreme. We are relatively stable as founders. Um, That's yeah, great because, because you're talking about you seeing those dark moments as hypothesis. Is that right? Is that what you're saying? That basically you're... you're so therefore, you you having the op because it's a hypothesis. You have if it's fail, then you come back with another hypothesis and you iterate. Is that exactly exactly? Um, as a company, we don't really like. Of course, great ideas are awesome, but we don't think great ideas they are the foundation of a good business or product. Uh, we believe great iteration is the foundation of building a very very innovative product. So all of this is translated into how we see the world, how we see uncertainties, um, and how do we build stuff. What are some of the major highlights um, that you've experienced so far in starting Curious Things? Um, I think the major highlight, let me think. I think firstly, it's my team. I'm super, super proud of my team. Um, you know, um, I think, like if 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 someone asks me, it's like you know, what's the what's the number one thing you are most proud of? I would say it's my team um, because we started with three people. Now we are fourteen, still a super super small team, but we have three locations. We have Sydney, uh, Brisbane, and also San Francisco. However, we can 
really, really usually say that we have one very, very good team culture. And the team culture is not just what founders kept talking about. It's actually what we practice every day, um, which I'm very, very proud of. Um, and I started to realize this bit of like the team culture um, you know, being a very good highlight of my journey was the first year anniversary of this company, which was July last year. And when the whole team sit down, we talk about, hey, what we like about our company and what we don't like about our company so we can improve. Actually, we, you know, people were discussing smaller groups. However, what we come up with is something super, super similar. Then we converted that into team culture. Um, you know, statements. So, um, yeah, I think that's the moment I'm very proud of. So there are two things out of that. First, did you use your Curious Thing AI to select your candidates? <laughs> two, how do you define a good team culture? Mm. Uh, to answer your first question, yes, uh, we do. <laughs> um, in, f- in fact, uh, our AI is designed for more junior high-volume roles. However, for us, because, um, you know, in software companies, uh, people say you have to eat your own dog food. Um, So, yeah, we do. We do eat our own dog food. We have to. Uh, If you are in sales, you have to give it a try and see if you like this product. If you don't like it, how are you going to sell it? If you are in technology, you need to give and see um, if you want to be part of the team building it, right? Um, To answer your second question, which is um, how do I define a good team culture? I would say, um, you know, a good team culture, firstly, um, it should be unique. Um, The reason why I say this is because, you know, if we say our team culture is being ethical, um, then you need to ask yourself which company's team culture is not about being ethical, right? Every company needs to be ethical. Uh, If your team culture is about doing high quality work, again, it's too generic. So um, what we have is firstly, we over communicate, which is, you know, if there is a certain thing you don't know whether you should ask or not, just ask. If there is a certain thing you don't know whether you should share or not, just share. Um, You know, the second thing about, you know, what is, in my opinion, a great team culture is it's actually going to be, you know, the multiplier so just think about like every individual as individual kind of like contributors right and you sum them up as a team culture is actually the multiplier and it's actually the company's job to make sure that the multiplier is greater than one which could be 1.1 1.2 so overall you achieve something better but if your team culture is not as good then you have you can have lots of great individuals but the multiplier is 0.8 and 0.9. And importantly, when your company grows, team culture is the only thing that could scale. Because, you know, as company leaders, when your company is 30, 40 people, it's very difficult for you to have one-on-one with them every day. But you have to rely on others in the team to make sure that, you know, the team culture is expanding into their, the new team members' day-to-day work. So, yeah, that's how we see this. I think that's the best answer I've ever heard in my life. I know. Yeah. Oh, just amazing. <laughs> oh, because of the math formula, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, yeah. What is the formula? Can you give us the formula again? <laughs> it's just like it's a true statistician. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, as I listen to it, I'm thinking, well, how do you 
the the multiplier. The, how do you have that multiplier effect in culture? Well, then it's like if you've got a lot of good individuals, then collectively it would. Okay, I'm probably not explaining this properly. Multiply, but um, actually, no, I'm not going to try to explain it again. So, but so I do, get it, so yeah. do you know what I mean, Sam? Like, yeah. Um, yeah. H- how do you then uh, have that multiplying? Multiply effect in culture. Let me let me give you a uh, like a real life example, right? Uh, say, in lots of like uh, software companies, um, you know the the you know product or development team and the business team sometimes there are misalignment because from business side they 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 don't fully know what product roadmap is. They only know the high level. At the same time, they don't necessarily understand how long does it take to build a new feature. And from dev side, they don't fully understand how difficult it is to close a deal, right? So then from time to time, there might be tension, there might be However, you know, if you can really make the dev team and the business team as one team, actually they will collaborate. So good feedback will pass to the dev team in a much easier way. At the same time, the business side, they will know from time to time a certain new feature is not going to be possible to deliver within one to two weeks. And also, you know, your dev team will have better business knowledge because they see how business team is making decisions, handling client from time to time. And when they are doing day-to-day work, especially in terms of like a certain decision for a certain feature, they could make a better business-aware decision. Then if you think about it, it's like it could be like two team members. They work, you know, individually. It's like one each, but it's like one plus one times 1.1. So you get the extra productivity. And also they grow faster. So that's kind of how we see it. Right. So do you think that kind of concept or, or formula you just given, that's not just in software, but do you believe that it can also be applied in any other section uh, or any industry in, in other sectors? If it's not just product, yeah. but service, do you think it can actually also work in, in, in industry that offers services rather than say, oh, selling services rather than just products? Absolutely. Um, you know, if you think about like, say, two team members, um, you know, if they are super, super collaborative, then essentially, say, team member A, they did a certain thing, they shared their learning very quickly, then team member B will actually solve that. And the second time team member B does a certain thing, she might be like, actually, it's much easier for me, because I know how to handle this already. And also, I'd rather spend extra half an hour on this task and make this part of playbook. Then team member C, when he or she has to pick up this task, it's almost automatic. It's within the same team. But if everyone is actually practicing really, really good collaborative culture, then essentially, you know, things can move really fast in a very positive way. So, um, yeah, I, I feel this is like, I didn't invent this, of course, like I, it's just in general, I'm a big believer that team culture is a good multiplier. Right. Well, 
Um, so have you got a lot of uh, business mentors or coaches along the way? Like I know you've got a lot of experience as um, a serial entrepreneur, but um, um, do you constantly have like someone on speed dial that you can just <laughs> call straight away and say, hey, I'm not sure about this or do you, do you have that? Um, so my one of my co-founders, David, he was my mentor when I started the startup journey. Um, um, you know, but now if you ask me, do I have like a one person or two people, I always, you know, ask for mentorship, not necessarily because, um, you know, but I ask advices from all different types of people. Um, I'll give you one example. When I started Curious Thing, there was a one big change for me, which was I was a CTO, so I was a technology leader, but now I also need to lead the business side. And how do you build a SaaS uh, software sales team? How do you actually scale it? How do you hire? How do you bootstrap? Lots of questions I need to I need to kind of like answer for myself. Of course, I go talk to my investors, ask for the right introductions. I go talk to those business leaders I trust. At the same time, I try to find everyone in the industry that has got the right experience. I try to ask them what they have learned. Um, so I would say. You know, this is kind of what I feel like the the mentorship or, you know, it shouldn't be coming from the other people's seniority because they don't necessarily know more than you do because they are more senior. At the same time, um, you really need to think about, say, I ask this person a question, whether this person is the right person to, sh to kind of like listen from and learn from. So I would say everyone could be your advisor or mentor. Just ask the right question and digest this yourself. So that's kind of like how I see it. Um, you know, in my team members, I also get advices from them. Uh, try to ask them, hey, I did this particular thing in this way. What's your thought? Because you have done this more than I did, right? Um, you know, I've got someone working for me. They've done business a lot longer than I do. Um, so I also ask them. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Mm, mm. So, I mean, often when we talk about uh, setting up a business and people starting out, you know, we ask often who supports them. Like, is it their business connection? Is it their family support? Like, how important are those factors in helping you as a startup to grow and build and scale your business, you know, from family to business support? Um, that's a great question. Um, so this is the the part. I will start with the family part because um, you know, firstly, I, I really appreciate how much uh, you know my family, my wife has to sacri uh, sacrifice um, to kind of like I would say to allow me uh, work. You know, say it's pretty much like twelve plus hours every day. Yeah, she doesn't you see know, you six, six days per week. Yeah, and <laughs> it's it's not like a really pleasant life if you think about it. Especially, you know, if your partner is you know kind of like working like that pretty much nonstop, then there are a lot more you need to do. So I think every startup founders, um, if they decide to start a kind of like this journey. Uh, firstly, talk to talk to your family, making sure that they are fine with it, not just for a few weeks, not just for a few months, but assuming it's going to be like this forever. Um, so yeah, I think that's the that's the that's the first part. You you definitely definitely need to ask for forgiveness 
it's not just a support, but ask for forgiveness because <laughs> really, um, you know, if you make certain thing successful, uh, people say, oh, well done. They wouldn't say that to your wife or your husband, right? But they actually suffer the same thing with you. Um, so the second thing in terms of like in general, what kind of like support you get from, you know, the business side or the ecosystem side, I would definitely say, you know, no matter if you are doing a startup, uh, you are a founder, you work for a startup or you are an investor, or you're just interested in this, uh, get involved in the ecosystem. Because in Australia, we have a relatively small ecosystem. Yeah. We are growing, but we have a very, very small ecosystem. Absolutely. Um, you know, there are a lot you can contribute to. Um, you know, it could be you give a certain business advices about your particular industry. It could be angel investment. It could be, you know, just be a customer. There are lots and lots of ways that you can contribute. And all these contributions actually will help us grow. Not just curious thing, but any startup in Australia. God, every answer you give, Sam, no, is just like, like a gold. It's a like textbook. I, I, <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's called listening for the gold. You know, I'm, every single thing I'm going to say, I'm going to say to my husband, please forgive me. But all of these years I've been side hustling and the hours and the, you know, that you spent. And actually also, because you don't go, for me, you know, I, I haven't gone to a full-time job and she's about to leave one because you want, you're so passionate about, you want to build something. I haven't resigned yet. Shh. Oh, 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 oh. By the well, time, I'm, sure, oh. I'm sure you can cut this part. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, by the time this goes to air, she'll be gone. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's right. Um, it's that time that you spend out there, as I call, side hustling constantly. Um, but thank you. That's a really um, a gold piece of advice and wisdom there, Sam. It's amazing. Um, thank you for that. Uh, so, so have you, along that, have you had many no's? Um, and, and how do you deal with those no's? And how do you convert them into a yes? Um, I'll answer your last question first, which is how do you convert noise to yes? Uh, firstly, not all the noise can be converted into yes. If you, if you try, because everything is like about how do you prioritize your time, right? There are certain noise, say for example, you know, you can't, you can't sell, you know, it's very difficult to sell um, ice cream in, I don't know, Alaska, right? I assume it's difficult. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You know, and if they say no, just try to think, or oh, maybe it's a wrong, it's a wrong thing for me to try to sell ice cream here. Um, you know, I, I know there are lots of books trying to founders, every no could be a yes. The reality is it's not, especially if you spend lots of effort converting a no, a difficult no to yes, you lose also lose lots of other opportunities. So don't try to do that. Try to think about it, try to be analytical. And, um, you know, the first part of your question regarding, do I get lots of noise? Uh, of course I do. Uh, you know, majority of my life is no. And to be honest, um, that's that's just what's expected. Um, if you do not just if you are an entrepreneur or if you are a startup, lots of you do. Like um, you do, you know, kind of like uh, lead generation for company. You get lots of noise. That's just part of 
your JD, like the, the founder's JD, the number one thing is be used to noise. Um, number two thing is like understanding what is the noise you should focus on and convert, uh, you know, and try to convert them and what are the noise you should just let, let go. go. Um, so, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's about resilience, isn't it? But yes. but 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 you're saying also to understand the market is no point going into a market that will not have the need. Like if you go to sell ice cream to Alaska and they're not going to have ice cream, why spend the energy in trying to sell into that market or trying to pitch into that market? It's better to find a market or an um, a, an audience that would, you know, would have would p- p- perhaps buy. Or, or, or appeal to and then spend some of that mm. energy there and you might get a yes you might get a no exactly i would say you know at least personally that's what i feel do not focus too much on the yes or no but focus on the reasoning behind it that's more valuable um you know people could say yes to you but you know they don't really see the value it could be other reason they say yes. Um, that's not going to be repeatable. People could say no to you, but it could be a certain thing you find useful. Because, like I said, I think you know, especially building a startup, everything is about iteration. Um, you know, um, the winner they can run iteration faster. If out of ten conversations, regardless, it's a yes or no, you realize, okay, that's not the sector I'm going to focus on. That's the sector I'm going to focus on. That's something I want to test that's a really, really good kind of like, you know, approach already. Then you keep iterating until you can systematically get lots of yes. But don't focus too much on whether people give you a yes or no. Focus on why they are giving you a yes, why they are giving you a no, and try to find the repeatable yes. Um, That's how, at least from B2B perspective, we do B2B software, right? That's the kind of like the approach you should think about. Okay. That's a really good point because I recently cancelled a subscription to a software and it asked me a series of questions why, like is it because of budget and then they were really, really detailed. And I just thought, oh, yeah, it's just – it's not about cancelling a subscription or not cancelling. It's about, okay – Understanding. Yeah, understanding the context and the circumstances around that. So you're right, that's, that's the insights that are really, really powerful. Mm. Um, I mentioned earlier, Sam, that we're very much about diversity and inclusion. So what's your views on that within the technology sector? Um, I think the technology sector has built a bit of a reputation. Uh, So what's your thoughts? Um, I would say definitely things can can be done better. Um, um, Like, okay, so in technology sector, um, you know, the, the gender you know kind of like you know you, you don't have enough female engineers sorry i'm trying to you know use the more appropriate word you don't have enough female engineers female data scientists using stats um, <laughs> exactly yeah. um yeah even in statistics uh even in math right um you know i think i think this is like a you know system level issue um because you know I, 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 to be honest, I don't know why, but in the education, in education, um, you don't have enough pipeline. Mm. Say, for example, if, say, in high school, people who pick 
like you know uh, young girls and females that they pick the advanced math, the percentage compared to male is much lower. Yeah. Then you will have less female engineers yeah. because people who go to uni study engineering will be lower. And then people who actually go to the engineering job, you know, you will have, you know, many, many female good engineers. But I think, you know, there are a few things I, I don't know the answer, but I, I, I think I have your questions. <laughs> Firstly, you know, why, you know, why we don't have enough females going to STEM education, uh, you know, science, stats, um, you know, technology, software, um, you know, is that because the way we select students um, is wrong? I, I'm not saying it is, but that's my hypothesis. Um, you know, should we? How do we encourage more females going to this sector from education? Right? Yeah, and, because- and, and as as you mentioned, Sam, it's the pipeline, and I think that um, if there's nothing in the pipeline, then you won't have that at that end. And the, I think the pipeline, and you're touching upon that, the hypothesis for me is that young young girls um, at uh, in the home going to school, um, so either basically the family background or perhaps even, I mean, were you interested in maths? Yeah, I did advanced maths. So did I, but I didn't like it. Mm. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I did not like advanced maths. I did maths. it because I had to. Yeah, exactly. That's it. You did it because yeah. you had to. I actually didn't mind, yeah. Oh, I but couldn't. I see what you mean. It's it's a pipeline issue. It starts from a very, very young age and perhaps it could be a branding thing. Like it needs to be encouraged exactly. a lot more. Mm. Maybe more for, for certain populations because of the stigma or branding issue whatever in the past um so i don't know maybe we could get kim kardashian or something to <laughs> influence the, the stem- no i'm just joking but yeah right, I, I personally wouldn't love that <laughs> <laughs> but but, but I, you know like i i know my son loves maths my son loves loves maths um and he does very well at maths i'm I, I would say I'm a very weak statistician. <laughs> Numbers. I liked maths because it had one answer and one answer only. Well, yeah. There's different ways of getting to the, the answer. Mm-hmm. Much like problems, there's different ways to solve a problem. But I liked how it just had one answer and it was really black and white. No, it's the formula that drives me. But as it, I think going back to what you're saying, Sam, is the, the, the pipeline and the, the hypotheses or looking at the how do we um, create that a pipeline and looking at how to yeah. engage more young women into STEM, the subjects like STEM. And, and for, from your perspective, that's how perhaps you can then address the, the lack of women in technology. Um, and, and yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, you know, I'm not a, like a policymaker, but that's kind <laughs> of like how I see the problem. So I really hope, you know, we have more female engineers and, you know, I highly encourage, you know, um, if you are in high school or you, you are in uni, um, try to consider something, um, you know, that is more like technology. If you are interested, don't don't fear the fact that, you know, you are female because, to be honest, um, I think having more females in the wheel will definitely bring more perspective because today technology is not just about, you know, coding. It's not just about getting a certain answer out. There are lots of, you know, solutioning part that would actually need different perspectives. 
Um, what's your advice for individuals and uh, business owners, especially those of migrant backgrounds? Um, mm. You know, what's their what's your advice to them if they want to start up their own venture? Yeah. That's a great question. So, um, you know, I was born in China. I came to Australia 16 or 17 years ago. I did high school, then uni. Um, I would say, I think the first thing is uh, try not to label yourself, um, you know, um, because no matter what you do, I think this is kind of what I believe, right? Um, the variety is coming from individuals today, right? You know, people are so different. Actually, between individuals, the varieties they bring is much bigger than this, you know, kind of like cultural group uh, brought to them. Like, you know, say cultural group is more like, you know, I say, ah, uh, kind of like what food do you like, you know, um, but to be honest, there are lots of different things actually within you, which is like the bigger variety. I don't know if I put that into the right way, but that's kind of what I feel. But if you try to label yourself, then you can only, you, you, you're actually limiting yourself in terms of like, you know, behaving a certain way. Um, you know, try to, try to find your own kind of like a variety, you know, your, yourself. Um, that is beyond your cultural group uh, or whether you were born in Australia or not born in Australia. Um, you know, uh, I, I would say that's my number one advice um, because if if you really kind of like, uh, you know, recognize that um, uh, for yourself, actually you will see that, um, you know, you can finally ask yourself a few things, which is what's your true passion? Uh, what you want to do with your life and are you able to kind of like do things for you yourself um then in addition to that i would say just work hard and uh, try to also maybe uh, in certain cases um, use that as your kind of like you know uh, advantage say for example you can speak a second language maybe that's your that's your unique strength um yeah so yeah the diff, the that diff, would be my advice the difference is you that's our uh, that's our hashtag for dawn the difference is you it's it's basically exactly 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 so anything uh, you know i think if anyone tried to summarize you belong to this group and for people in this group you should behave in a certain way um i personally i'm not a big fan of those type of labeling and advices i would say Everyone is different, um, you know, and you should work in the way that and think in the way that that is unique for you. Um, if you want to do a startup, try to think who you are and what's your strength, what's your weakness. Um, then try to basically utilize your strength and um, try to do something with your weakness, maybe through partnering with others. So, yeah, that would be my, that would be my advice. Focus on yourself first. Great answer. Um, where to now next for Curious Thing? Um, great question. So uh, firstly, we are a kind of like, you know, a technology provider. So uh, we are expanding. And uh, at the moment, we serve uh, people in four, five countries, Australia, New Zealand, uh, Philippines, Singapore, and the US. Um, we might 
father and I you what sorry you stopped out just um, then yeah you said you, you served. You said you served up uh, all the countries, but then you you dropped out afterwards. Yeah, you mentioned five countries, I, and then it. Oh yes, out. yes. I'm sorry about that. Um, the internet here is really, really bad. <laughs> Technology. Um, you need to fix that. <laughs> this is this is the co-working space uh, we are at, and in this particular room, because that's the only room I can find. I'm sorry about <laughs> that's that. That's all right. This particular room is very, very bad. Um, anyway, so yeah, we serve uh, five countries: Australia, New Zealand. Uh, Philippines, uh, Singapore, and the US. So, um, you know, we wouldn't be so uh, proactive in terms of like adding more, um, but we'll try to expand further within this region. And, um, you know, um, we are very, very early stage and we have only started selling our, our product for slightly longer than one year. So, wow. um, yeah, so um, I think we have a we have a big big plan in terms of expansion, and we are hiring as well. So you know, if you guys know anyone or anyone who's listening want to join us, please just email me. Oh, for sure. What are you, what, 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 are you yeah, what jobs are you hiring? <laughs> Communication. Uh, we are hiring. Yeah, we are hiring for one. Uh, we are hiring for one BDM, one CSM, and one data scientist. Okay, we will let them know BDM. CSM, customer service yeah. manager. Okay. Customer success manager. Customer success manager and start data scientist. Data scientist, yes. Yep. Okay. So we will um, you know, let um let people know about that. Thank you. Yeah. Um look it's been such a wonderful conversation with you, Sam, and really we really appreciate the generous time and the generous answer and giving us great, great insights into everything, really. Um we're very grateful and we wish you great success. And Congratulations. I, yeah, I have no doubt this is the first, won't be the last conversation with you. We will hopefully track and pro, you know your progress and we're looking to continue the conversation with you. Thank you so much and thank you for having me. Uh, it's my pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Sam. Um, that's it from us here at Dawncast. If you like what you've been listening to, please subscribe to the uh, bell button below. And uh, I'm Di Lee from Dawncast. And I'm Cathy Ngo. We're also back again. from Dawncast. Yes. <laughs> We're back again. Thank you. All right. See you. See you.